0: Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to LifeGiver. Hi, this is Taya Kyle, and you're listening to LifeGiver. Hey, this is Dr. Les Parrott, and you're listening to Life LifeGiver. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey Weathers. If you are joining me today for the first time, um, welcome to the podcast. Um, I am thrilled that you're here. This podcast is specifically for military and first responder families, but today's episode is a little bit different than usual. And so this episode is actually being directed straight to family members, so external family members of military and first responder families. The biggest request that I got was how do I talk to my external family members about the changes that we've gone through as individuals and as families. And as I started this series about how could we improve our dynamics with family members, I realized that the best way for me to do this was just to do a couple episodes where I actually just speak to your family members and maybe have a little bit of that conversation for you and at least start the dialogue. Um, A lot of people have sent in questions and sent in things that they would love for me to relay to family members, so if you are a family member who this podcast has been shared with you, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled that you're listening. I would highly encourage you going back and listening to previous episodes or any episodes that come out with the podcast. I think it's going to shed some incredible light on what your family members go through and I think that you will relate to a lot of the content as well because we all know that you guys serve too in the fact that you have kind of extended that permission and embrace the fact that your son, your daughter your sister, your brother is serving and that um, that impacts you and it does change you too. And um, it may change you in different ways, but it definitely does impact you. So if this is the first episode that you're listening to, I'm actually going to encourage you to go back to maybe the last episode, if not the one before that, um, and listen to this series from the beginning, because today is part two of the last episode where I'm speaking directly to you. And that first episode, the one before this um, is really more about kind of setting up today's conversation and I want you to be able to feel like um, you're kind of following that flow. So the last conversation had more to do with how the community might have changed your serving family. And I also get into introducing myself and kind of telling you a little bit about my background and also explaining um, the community dynamics a little bit more and also my goal for this series. And so if um, if you have not listened to those episodes, I would love to ask for you to kind of hit the pause button, hit the stop button on this one and go back and listen to those others and it will flow nicely into today's conversation So today's episode is a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole of what do we do? How do we bridge this gap of misunderstanding between Um, you and your serving family members, especially if they have gone through difficult things in this lifestyle and they're different from who they were before. Now, in the last episode, I talked about how change is inevitable for all of us. You guys have gone through changes. You've had significant life events as well that weren't necessarily military, but still shaped you. And so I really do believe that the series can be about us finding common ground and finding ways for us to find those commonalities that we can agree agree on and understand and relate to, but I hope to kind of give you these little tidbits of things that maybe you didn't know before, um, or maybe they told you about it before, and maybe I'm just saying it in a different way, and it might um, clear up some things that you didn't understand before. So today is a lot about um, possible, whether... I guess PTSD if your serving family member has PTSD or combat stress or whether the community has just changed them, maybe they don't have PTSD but they've gone through something significant. Those military spouses and those first responder spouses who have um, walked through those moments of fear and dread wondering if their um, spouse was okay and how that shaped them. We don't always have to have PTSD in order to be impacted and I think you guys know that because you've had those experiences as well that have shaped you. Um, But I do want to maybe give some hope and some encouragement to those of you who really are dealing with some significant changes and not knowing how to handle that. A lot of family members come to visit and feel like they're walking on eggshells and that's so sad and unfortunate and it's not something I would ever want you to feel and i know that my family has experienced that as well and you know really it's about how do we smooth that over and bring understanding and conversation into all of it so i think it's a great place to dive in um in my book sacred spaces uh, matt and i share our vulnerable story of how deployment changed both of us and how we had to figure out a better language of how to talk with each other and how to um, find a new normal after those changes happened and i'm very open and honest in the story and um, when matt came home hours after he returned home his mom was understandably so excited to speak with him on the phone and welcome him home and just say how much she missed him and um, and I knew that for the past several hours I'd been updating her that he was almost home so I know she was feeling anxious and excited as well Um, but none of us could have imagined um, truly Um, who this person was that was walking off the plane because Matt um, struggled with a lot of exhaustion, first of all, Um, as a chaplain, serving so many um, service members he probably would tell you today that he overgave to the point of exhaustion and burnout to the point that he actually pulled the patches off of his uniform so that nobody could tell that he was a chaplain and nobody would talk with him on the flight home and he was just really burned out but he had also experienced a lot of death and a lot of loss and a lot of the losses that he went through were people that he knew and were close with and that changed him in fact in the book um he I share emails that he had shared with me during the deployment and at one point he had said in an email that he understood um or maybe it wasn't in the email but I did write it in the book where he talks about in the Jewish tradition that when you touch a dead body that you're considered different and changed and that he for the first time understood that that um after he was really exposed to death he really felt like he was different so coming home he was not who he was before, and he was obviously exhausted, jet lagged, um, anxious to spend time with me, anxious to spend time with the boys who had obviously grown since the last time he would seen them. Um, and I think he felt pulled in every direction possible. So by the time we we're getting home and the kids have activities and i'm trying to figure out how to handle that his mom is calling trying to connect with him too i think he got he felt pulled in lots of different directions and what result, what resulted was a just a unfortunate volatile argument conversation over the phone between him and his mom and it just so happened that his mom was the the place where he just um, exploded all of that energy and all of that frustration, and he would say today that that was not the best way to handle it, and it really did impact the relationship for a while. And it's at a good place for sure now, but I think that was a huge wake up call for all of us that something had changed and something was different. And how do we handle that? And I, you know, I I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty positive the next time. Uh, matt's parents were around him and came for a visit i'm sure that they were walking on eggshells wondering if he was going to explode again and so a lot of our families um, deal with that a lot of our families deal with service members coming home different first responders being shaped and coming home different and not really knowing how do we handle these family visits when um, a trigger can happen a trigger for anxiety and a panic attack or whether it's anger or irritability and nobody wants a family visit to go that way. And everybody, I think, wants to succeed and wants to see um, that visit go off well. Otherwise, you wouldn't take off all your time and drive that far, you know, travel that far to be there. So um, so that's what we're going to be diving in and talking about today. And so there are five things that I wanted to walk you guys through on um, maybe some practical tips and things to be thinking about when especially you're going for a visit and you're around your serving family. Again, the last episode kind of explains why there might be changes in who they are and in their behavior, especially based off of the community. But today's conversation is more practical tips on what you can do. So to start off with, I want to just remind everybody listening, especially if you're military um, or first responder family listening, that suffering and pain is subjective. And what that means is, is your level of struggle is your level of struggle. And for the family member listening, that whatever you've gone through in your life or whatever you're going through right now is difficult for you. And there is no way to compare those two. I have conversations all the time between between the first responder and the spouse and the um, military member and the spouse about, how we as a default compare each other's struggle and suffering and a lot of our supporting spouses actually repress all of their feelings more than they should because they feel like it's never going to compare to what they experienced um, on the streets or in combat and so they never feel like it's worth talking about this big thing that happened to them but suffering and pain is subjective life is hard for everybody and whatever you're going through right now It's legitimately hard for you. And so we kind of have to start there. We kind of have to respect the fact that there's no way to compare or size each other up. That we really have to respect that what you're going through is the most difficult thing that you've got to go through. And this is the most difficult thing for me to go through. So number one. Number one, and this is what a lot of families actually ask me to share with you, the external family members, on how um, these family visits could go a little bit better. Um, And this number one is the phrase, which they are either hear a lot or they're afraid they're going to hear a lot, which is, well, you chose it. So fill in the blank. So the reason why they're bringing this up is that You would think that if you live a lifestyle and if you're in a career that's really challenging and has significant consequences, especially to war and PTSD, you would think that if you're unhappy in that, then just leave it. Um, And so a lot of families feel like they hear the um, reply back from external family members, which is, well, you chose it, so you must either like it or you chose it, so If you don't like it, leave it, or you chose it, so suck it up. I'm not really sure exactly what that phrase is about, but it tends to really be a trigger for families because this is a calling very similar to probably you have your purpose in calling. And so a lot of them, even though it's difficult, it's not something for them to change or do differently. Um, And they may choose the calling and what they feel like is the right thing for them to do to serve their country and their community. But they don't choose the difficulty and the struggle that comes with it. And um, I think we all agree. I I can't imagine anybody out there feeling like um, that you brought this on yourself. And I don't think that's what anybody is saying when they say that. Um, But just as a reminder for a lot of our families, especially our first responders who are doing two and three jobs, that it's not easy to just leave the, the career, even if you are miserable in it, it's not easy to just leave the career without consequences. So some of our military members are signed on for a certain amount of time and they can't leave it. Um, a lot of people don't know what else they would do or what else they could do or those job skills are hard to transfer and so it's, it's really not something that um, is easy to leave. But I think that the reasons why they stay is more significant. And so the reasons why they stay is because the support is incredible, the community is incredible, and support from you is incredibly beautiful to them. And so knowing that you do support them staying in this lifestyle and that even though it's difficult, that you're, you're there to serve them, love them, support them, is more meaningful than anything else. And I think that's why this phrase is so hurtful for so many of them, is that they hear that comment as an unsupport phrase they hear it as well I'm sorry I can't help you Um, you chose it Um, like you you asked for it and they hear that as unsupportive um, whereas I think that family members that might be saying that are really trying to just wrestle with why would you make this choice and so perhaps the question is if you find yourself even internally asking that question maybe the real question is what is it about this calling that is so valuable to you and so important to you and so fulfilling. And so if that resonates with you, I would encourage you to ask that question because I think you'll get a fantastic answer from your family members who really want to tell you why they love what they do and why they continue to move forward even though it's difficult. So this idea of they chose this career but it's still hard. I think that's what we need to focus on, that yes, they did choose it, but they still have a difficult time and they still need your support. And so being able to reach out with a care package, being able to send that gift card, like I was saying before, being able to acknowledge, um, even though you can't do something, that probably eating dinner by yourself isn't very fun and that that can be really lonely. Um, And that you can do things like gift cards for groceries. You can do things like um, offering childcare, goes a long way so a lot of these um, spouses live kind of like a single parent lifestyle um, but they're not single parents in the fact that they haven't had to embrace the fact that i'm going to be a single parent forever until you know i get remarried Um, this is a case where the the roles are constantly revolving and changing and so you never quite get your battle rhythm as that single parent nor would you want to um, but when you're able to offer something like childcare so that they can go get their hair done or go get a manicure or just ride a bike or sit outside in silence is such a huge gift. And so realizing that even though they choose it because they love it, that it's still hard and they still need you, I think is what they desperately wanted me to get across. So number two is um, you're not likely to hear them complain. It's connected to this last one. So. It's really basically saying that you're if you're going into a visit expecting them to complain about all the things that they don't like about this lifestyle, you might get that. You might get them to be authentic and they might be in a place of desperation where they just talk about how much, um, how difficult things are. But especially in the military spouse community, there is a limit to that at some point. And part of it is because I think we're just trying to be adults and and realize that we're not very fun people to be around if we complain all the time or if I am complaining that I'm going to get that. Well, you chose it. And maybe that's the reason why um, family members are saying that is there's only so much complaining that you can hear. So I realize that there's a variety of responses and a variety of things that you're hearing. Um, But I think more than anything, what I wanted to kind of get across and kind of communicate and educate you guys on, on how you can um, approach your visits a little bit differently and be more successful with them is understanding that if you have especially a military spouse that is not opening up and being vulnerable about how challenging things are, um, it is well known in the military spouse community that there's a limit to that. In fact, there's a derogatory term for military spouses who are bitter and resentful, complaining all the time, and really just in it for the benefits. In other words, you know, if you hate it so much, then you must be in it just for the benefits. And the derogatory term for that is a dependa. So we're obviously dependents in the military system, meaning um, my, my serving spouse earns those health benefits and those roll down to me and take care of the family. Um, But they've skewed that word into a dependa, um, which is that negative, bitter military spouse. And that has caused a lot of people in our spouse community to not complain at all and just really stuff it down and just be grateful. And I noticed in my counseling sessions with a lot of military spouses, they were expressing to me that they can't complain because it just doesn't feel patriotic. Like I'm supposed to, to love my spouse, support my spouse. Here they are serving their country. What do I have to complain about? Um, I shouldn't have any feelings about that. In fact, I had a session this morning with another couple who um, that's where she was at. Like, I felt like I can't complain because it's going to put him in a bad spot and, and he can't change things. So why say anything at all? And what we end up having is a lot of military spouses specifically who are like shaking up Coke bottles who are either going to implode or explode. So when you come for a visit, um, they may be very open with you, but it might, um, you, it might be good for you to ask questions and help them open up and know that it's a safe place for them to open up and that it's okay if things aren't perfect. But I did want to make sure that you understood why they might be kind of keeping it quiet. And also, they may not want to alarm you. So if their serving spouse is really struggling with PTSD or they're struggling with um, feelings of loss or grief and they haven't resolved it and haven't figured it out quite yet on how they're going to handle that as a couple they may not be talking with you about it because they're still feeling very raw and not sure how to ask you for help on that or not wanting to involve you into their drama if you will and that might be something that they open up in time about obviously when matt came home and struggled with what he was struggling with There was a lot of things we did not share for a very long time until we kind of got a handle of it and kind of knew what was going on in each other's worlds. And then, of course, we opened up over time. And here I am now with a book that shares the story with the whole world. So giving them that extra time, trusting that this this will eventually change and they will be able to open up more as they feel more confident um, will definitely happen over time. But um, as far as basic things and how especially a spouse is doing, just ask those good questions of how are you doing? And this this lifestyle, you know, seems very difficult. And so what are the things you love about it? What are the things that you really struggle with? How can I serve you better? How can I support you better? I always think that asking questions across the table from someone, you um, just really shows love and shows support and shows um kindness and so it's one of my favorite things to do and it's one of my favorite things when someone does it to me as well so um okay so number three um is the and again a lot of this is coming from serving families that have given me these things these very difficult things to say and communicate so um i again i ask you for grace um, as i try to explain them um that they're always they're coming from a good place but again going back to the last episode um, i really am doing my best in this whole series to offer a balanced approach that again under the caveat of all suffering really is subjective i think we could apply a lot of this to both sides of the table for sure So number three, is um, try not to assume that you understand again this kind of goes back to questions Um, but we were talking about sacred spaces and how sacred spaces is a life-changing event that's usually experienced in a multi-sensory way Um, and it's sacred meaning it's set apart and it's something that you ask somebody to respect and so if you've lost somebody very important in your life and it really just altered your your life direction and grieving through that and it changed what your perspective of life even was about, that's hard to explain to somebody. And when somebody walks up to you and you, you kind of briefly tell them, well, I lost my parent, um, and they go, oh, I totally know what that's like. Um, well, if you haven't had a chance to unpack it, especially if you've lost that parent tragically, that can, you can almost feel yourself getting defensive because they kind of, they kind of trampled that very sacred space in your life without asking for additional information or seeking to understand Um, the weight of it. And so I think that with these military families, I covered in the last episode about how it's kind of a rite of passage to come into this community and that you are promoted through the ranks and there's certain things you have to go through that really do end up adding credibility and combat is one of those. Um, But also have consequences and take a toll on your life as well. But with those experiences come life-changing experiences and sacred spaces. And I really do believe that all of us want to be able to sit across the table from someone that they care about and talk about and share their sacred space with somebody and that they want that other person to want to understand more than anything Um, There are a few people out there that kind of keep their sacred spaces so protected and so closed off. They don't talk about it at all. But I think most of the time that's because they've been wounded by people who didn't respect it. And I think we can all understand what that's like. And so I think that the majority really want to be asked about it and want to have the tread lightly, the respectful room to really talk about it without being interrupted or talk about it with reverence and that a lot of these families have gone through that and really need you to be able to come to the table and say, I know what it's like to have a sacred space. And so I'm here to listen if you would like to tell me about it. And that even though it's hard for me to hear, I really want to hear about it. And I'll sit here as long as you'd like to tell me, even if it goes into a story where they can get triggered and that goes down a very detailed story. Um, A lot of our service members, especially when they're sharing a traumatic account, can um, find themselves in a flashback going back and you'll see that their details will get very multi-sensory, they'll get very detailed and they will they will be stuck in that story until they have the ability to finish it or pull themselves back out. And so if you are going to ask a question about what was this moment like for you, I would just ask you to make sure there's plenty of time and plenty of space where you can truly walk with them down that path and not expect them to snap out of it very quickly. In fact, it's not something that I would recommend that you go out for pancakes afterwards. Like It's something that they might need some time to recover afterwards and just kinda keep it chill afterwards because they might have these heightened senses afterwards that could really trigger them to be irritable. Um, And we never want to like transition out of something like that too quickly anyways, because then it does communicate that I really didn't want to hear the whole story. I just wanted to hear the parts that I wanted to hear. You know, so this is where we get into those questions that offend a lot of military families, especially service members, like, did you kill anybody? Well, there's a whole story. And a lot of those stories are sacred spaces that go into me answering that question. And so they immediately, in response, kind of say to themselves in their mind, are you are you somebody that I can share that story with? Because if I can't, then I'm gonna just come up with a quick response. Because I don't, number one, I don't wanna go there. Number two, the way that you asked was basically saying you only want a piece of this information, not how it actually impacted me. And so you don't get to go there. And I'm probably not gonna open up to you again, probably ever again after this. And so that's one of the reasons why they have that response that they do. If you would like to understand and relate better, um, always, again, asking those questions are really great and really powerful. Um, I would definitely encourage you to read Sacred Spaces. I would also encourage you to listen to other episodes of this podcast um, where really I genuinely try to have these honest conversations. Um, hopefully today is an example of that, that we deal with very real topics that impact people instead of just kind of going over them lightly or not giving them um. The credit or the attention that they deserve. Um, I would also encourage you to watch certain videos and movies and stories reading certain books that really give you the inside look into things as well. Um, I know that um, there's a National Geographic series right now that um, shows a lot of the military perspective and the um, at-home perspective which I think is really powerful I know American Sniper did that for me. I thought it was a wonderful, accurate account of what it's like for a service member. I'm um, wrestling with this work versus home and being great at his job, but also trying to be great for his family and also gives a really good understanding of what it's like at home as well for the wife. I think that's a great one. My point, though, in watching the videos is not so that you can show up at Thanksgiving and go, well, I get it because I watch this. I think that they all need to be conversation starters. They all need to trigger good questions. And so I would encourage, again, this is less talking at each other and more questions. So when you watch a show such as Army Wives, like Army Wives is so funny to me because I had totally enjoyed the series because there were so many pieces of it that was like, oh, that's my life. It's so funny to see it on screen. Um, but there were so many parts of the story of the series that were totally unrealistic. In fact, um, I shared in the, the last episode Um, when it talks about the community and how in a lot of ways the military community is very segregated. And we are closing the gaps on some of that socially between um, officer wives and enlisted wives that we're doing more together. And I love that, Um, but it's still a very real experience in the military um, in some ways to not mix the two and regardless of how we feel about it it's still kind of going on today so when in army wives for example they had everybody befriending each other and there was enlisted wives and officer wives it was kind of this utopia and so in a, in a way i wanted them to be more authentic and be able to show some of the dynamics and the struggle that these wives have when they want to experience that kind of community but might be blocked in some ways and trying to wrestle through what does that mean so when somebody comes up to me and makes a comment about military life that seems like they pulled it right out of army wives this utopia of an experience as if they fully understand it now then that's where I kind of am like well it'd be better as if it's a question like is this what you experience is this similar to your life or is that just Hollywood and so I think that's a really good conversation starter for any time you watch a military movie, to be able to go and ask your your serving family, is this literally what it's like? And this is also true for first responders. There are things that are all over the news, I'll give you a good example of it, um, about first responders that make us think that we know exactly what it's like in their life, only to find out that it's not. So for example, we just came from Charlottesville, Virginia, where the Charlottesville riots happened. And we were prepared in advance knowing that this riot was likely to happen and that the the first responders were having to gear up and prepare themselves. And as the white supremacists were coming into town, um, they had a legal permit to protest, um, not taking the statue down. And the police force was trained up to protect the white supremacists because they had a legal permit to do a peaceful protest. And even though there was many black African-American first responders that were gonna stand there and they were gonna stand up for the white supremacist rights, um, that angered a lot of people in the community. And so there was word of a lot of people filling soda cans with cement, prepared to throw it at law enforcement because they were protecting the white supremacists. Well, at the time, the white supremacists weren't doing anything wrong, they were doing a peaceful protest of which they had a legal permit for. My point here, though, is that the news later after the riots was talking about, um, of course, everybody was angry at first responders for not acting, um, and news was saying all this stuff about first responders and what the community felt about first responders, and that's not necessarily accurate. In fact, one of the news broadcasters had said that all of Charlottesville was terrified after the riots. Well, we were definitely grieving and we definitely felt the impact of the riots, but I don't think that we were necessarily terrified. And so we need to be careful with the information that we get from the news and get from media, even from our books, to use them as dialogue starters, questions that we can bring to the table and actually get the right information. Because really, when it comes down to it, the information from the person that you love across the table is the most important information for that relationship. I mean, we can have conversations about politics and all of that, but when it comes down to these kind of conversations, it's better to ask good questions and get the facts that are important to the person sitting across from you. Okay politics brings us to number four. So number four is try to avoid big, heavy, emotional conversations about politics and war. Now, if you already have this established in your family that this is something that you guys can talk about and it's not a problem, then go for it. A lot of families really do enjoy talking about it. But do understand that military families specifically do have some regulations, especially if, especially if they're on post or on social media, that there are regulations that they they're supposed to be as neutral as possible because the commander-in-chief is their commander-in-chief um, regardless of what they think about that person they're not going to disrespect the commander-in-chief when that's their boss and who they take their orders from even though some of this is evolving as well you're not likely to see Um, political signs in yards, um, bumper stickers on cars. Um, Some take it very seriously. They're not even going to have a Facebook page or say anything about politics on their Facebook page. And so they may be cautious about having those conversations. Um, But if it's just around the dinner table and it's just a family visit, you know, it's they're going to welcome those conversations. And in a lot of ways, military and first responder might have an inside understanding To politics or maybe even war or dynamics in other countries that you may not otherwise get if you don't ask those good questions. And they can actually be wonderful for giving you the facts that maybe you don't get through the news or understanding why is something confidential that they're talking about on the news or why is it important that they um, did hold that in confidence and And what is a skiff? You know, all that information about Hillary Clinton and, and whether or not she had access to certain emails and why is that important? These are all really great conversations that you can have at the table. And I think that your serving family would love to be able to unpack and bring greater understanding to those topics. So it's not that you can't talk about politics at all. I think what families wanted me to relay to you is more so when it talks about your heavy emotions about and opinions about war. Um, those places that involve sacred spaces to these serving families that's where things can go wrong so when you are sitting around a table And you're giving opinions about how we shouldn't be at war or let's just take all the troops out of afghanistan or you know i believe that we should do this with iraq instead Um, to just enter into those conversations very carefully because it could trigger that serving spouse especially if they've known men and women who have died serving this cause in afghanistan or iraq or wherever Um, it's a really emotional issue to just say well let's just abandon the cause altogether and call it failure Um, You can understand that brings up a lot of feelings. And so I would just caution you when you have those very emotional discussions that again, we ask those questions. And if it involves a sacred space, giving them the emotional safety to be able to talk about it in a way that you could understand both sides without it getting heated, um, I think you would avoid a trigger very easily that way. Okay, so number five gets into if you do have a serving family member who is struggling with PTSD or has triggers, Um, all of the couples, I would say almost all the military and first responder couples that I work with who come to me for an entirely different, like I do coaching with them. They're not necessarily coming to me because they're having problems. Some of them are doing great. Um, Not all of them have PTSD. Some of them do, some of them don't. But I would say a majority of them either have triggers or struggle with hypervigilance, which is kind of like a trigger. But I think that that's what a lot of families see as, um, well, he's on edge or he's anxious and so he must be broken or he must be struggling. And so even some of those that I serve that do not have PTSD still do have triggers and have anxiety that can pop up in certain situations. And so I think it's important for you to um, have some help coming into those visits on how to handle those kinds of things. So what I heard from family members is, first of all, um, everybody, you included, when we come to a visit together, I think everybody is on their best behavior. And we all try to be at our best behavior. I think that this can get a little challenging if you're visiting overseas and you're kind of there for two to three months. There's only so long that everybody can be on their best behavior before, you know, the real stuff starts to leak out a little bit. And so, um, but it is important to understand that everybody is doing the best they can and everybody is on their best behavior. And so if you see some anxiety or if you see, especially during a shorter visit, if you see um, some triggering or some irritability, um, that this could be one of two things. It could be, um, I mean, it could be more than just two things, but it could be that, yes, that they are on their best behavior and that they really are struggling, struggling much more and at a much deeper level than what you're seeing, but they're on their best behavior. So you're only seeing a little bit of it, a little, um, you know, it's like an iceberg, just the tip above the surface. Um, and but that military spouse may not be necessarily reacting to that level of irritability to you it's a lot and to you it might be shocking but that's not the everyday experience that they go through every day that might just be normal and so that that can really cause some problems if family is coming in and is really thrown by some irritability or anxiety or or somebody getting triggered by something and to you you're concerned and And I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned, but it may be a perspective difference. And so really pay attention to how the rest of the family is handling that. It could be a big deal to you and not as big of a deal to someone else. The other thing that could be happening that we have to keep in mind is that when we are around family members, everybody naturally, like this is research driven even for you as well. When you're back around family members, especially your parents, we all revert psychologically to an age of between eight and eleven, and we don't mean to do it, but we kind of fall into this default mode of adult child, and then adult parents. Um, we kind of take on those roles again of whoever you know you played the role in the family within the family dynamics of you know your family of origin. And so sometimes just finding yourself back into those dynamics again can trigger irritability and anxiety that has nothing to do with the life of service and everything to do with we're just family under one roof together and I'm not eight years old and I am married, so why am I having these feelings of irritability that I'm having or why am I getting triggered by my family members or why are my family members getting triggered by me? And so sometimes it's just family dynamics, it's not PTSD. And so family members would want me to tell you that as well so if you do see your serving family member get triggered that they do have a rageful episode um, and you are concerned and it's maybe a warning sign I would just say that um, to just stay very calm and to not take responsibility for that person's behavior Follow the modeling of the supporting spouse that I'm not saying she has all the answers and she knows what to do, but in that situation, especially if it's in her home, she's probably feeling a very a level of embarrassment. Um, especially if this is an embarrassing um, outburst or something like that but she probably feels pulled in several different directions she's trying to be a host to you and yet her spouse is not doing well and so she feels pulled that direction she's probably feeling pulled towards the children she's maybe feeling a little bit of embarrassment or maybe this is usually not a big deal but because it's happening in front of other people now it is a big deal and now do I need to fix it and so in some ways I think following her lead and letting her lead out on what to do on that is one route you can go Um, but also just staying very calm and not taking ownership for his behavior that it's important i'm using stereotypes here it could be her behavior his behavior but for the sake of our conversation there's so many caveats we'd be here forever so if it's his behavior to be able to just say you know i'm gonna let him leave and cool off and come back and own his behavior and take ownership for that hopefully and i think once things calm down you can definitely go to him and say hey You got really upset there. I'm not, I don't like the way that you spoke with me. Can we talk about it? Um, I think that's very healthy you know, going in and yelling at the person or treating like nothing happened at all, I think is is really destructive. But just being able to respond in kindness, but not taking ownership for someone else's behavior is really important. Um, also, taking a break yourself. So if you need to leave the house yourself, just, you know, maybe not, we definitely, none, nobody needs to leave in irritability and anger. But if you just need a break, I think it's good for family to come visit and to be able to have these moments of together and these moments apart so that we aren't under one roof all the time triggering each other because we everybody can get triggered. So go for that walk. Take the kids out and give them a date night. Um, send them out on a date night. Um, I heard from several families that were overseas that said, you know, go explore a little bit and um, get that time away or let them get that time away. That it's okay to have this separateness that we don't necessarily need to jam pack as much time as possible under one roof or you are going to find yourselves irritable and possibly triggering that spouse that does have PTSD that now feels out of control so in that situation you can kind of keep things very chill by keeping that balanced and communicating with each other Um, how much time do we need you know I'm kind of feeling like it would be a good time for us to take a step out or to give you guys a date night um, and have that space would be really important so I think that um That pretty much covers the basics of what I wanted to share with you. I think that your biggest concern is that if your serving family member is really indeed struggling with their emotions and their feelings, if that first responder is, you know, by the way, I really didn't get into this much and I probably need to cover it. First responders may not have PTSD, but they definitely struggle and feel triggered by um, hyper vigilance. So almost everybody would say that they don't like large crowds. And I think we can all understand that, especially when there's been as many mass shootings as there have been. We all as a culture can understand that being in a large crowd or group of people can cause anybody anxiety. Um, but for a lot of our first responders, veterans and military members, they definitely. Um, have heightened anxiety or hypervigilance where their their senses are heightened and they're seeing and hearing everything Um, most of the time because they've been in situations where a um, where being around lots of people went bad. Right. So I think respecting that and if you are out and about and you are you've gotten out of the house and you've gone somewhere that being thoughtful as a whole family, everybody talking together and saying maybe we don't go somewhere where there's lots of people because it's just setting up that serving spouse up for for failure Um, or at least to find themselves worn out, exhausted and Irritable by the end or anxious by the end, that where can we go? And it's not something that anybody needs to feel ashamed about or broken for, that this is really just about where can we all go and feel like we can relax and not push ourselves too far. So, being able to go to a park, go somewhere outside, going somewhere where there isn't lots of people, or if you are going somewhere like, let's say, Disney World as a family, that it's important for anybody at any time to take breaks when they need to take breaks to um, kind of decompress from all the sensory overload so that nobody explodes that that um, isn't specific just to veterans it's for anybody And so um, being proactive of these thoughts before you go visit, before you go on vacation together um, is really going to set you up for success for a really wonderful visit together where things can be calm and neutral and enjoyable and you can have wonderful discussions. And so I hope that this has given you just a little bit to think about and a place to at least start some good healthy conversations. I know that there are lots of different families listening. Um, And each one of you are struggling with something different and have maybe seen a different kind of change in your family member. And so this is just the beginning. It would take me so many episodes to go through each of every different kind of experience that you might be having. But I think if I were to give you like an overall um, recommendation or encouragement, I think I would just say, be human. Expect those that you're visiting with to be human, that we all struggle with something, that we all have experienced that life is hard and that we all have the opportunity to serve each other in that and to create better understanding in that and that we have a great opportunity to love each other. And a lot of that starts with asking good questions. Um, So thank you for what you do. Thank you for serving your serving family, for making it possible for them to serve. Thank you for listening to this podcast and being willing to learn something new. And if you didn't learn anything new, then I hope that that affirms that you're doing a lot of things right. And as always, if there's anything that I can cover specifically, then please reach out. I love to hear ideas and topics. um, And I love to encourage you as well so that I can breathe life into your family as well. So thanks again. And I hope to see you soon.